God bless you, everybody. Uh, please take your Bibles and go to Galatians chapter 1. A couple of weeks ago, I taught on uh, rescued from this present evil age. And I felt that I needed to go back and clarify some of the things. Uh, maybe some of those things were a little new. Um, so I thought I would take some time. I asked Raj if I could share some of those things again. Uh, so today we're, I might reiterate some of the things we already did, but uh, with hopefully with a little bit more clarity. So in Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In, the, in verse 4, the, world, the word deliver is rescued. He, he rescued us, and it's from this present evil age, not the world, the present evil age, that he rescued us. Um, we saw in the last teaching that this present evil age has existed ever since Adam sinned. It's always been an evil age. We also saw that the scriptures tell us that it's unwise to inquire about the good old days, that there weren't better days in the past. Yes, some things might have been better, but it's been an evil age ever since man sinned. And we saw how the Israelites tricked themselves into thinking that the days back in Egypt were better, even though when they, when they didn't like the manna in the wilderness, they only thought about the good things of Egypt, forgetting the bondage. Because man's mind plays tricks on him, Ecclesiastes says there's no remembrance of former things. It can appear that things were better at one time. So inquiring about the past and saying, where are the good old days, is unwise, the scriptures tell us. We also saw that despite the teaching that the bad situations that surround us means we're near the end of the world, all things are getting worse and worse, is also a false, deceitful teaching of the world. The fallacy that this age is becoming more and more evil. Um, if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You all know that in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul shares on the gathering together. From 13 to 18, where the saints are going to be gathered together in chapter 4. And then, let's go back to verse 18, actually, of chapter 4. He says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We know that Jesus Christ is going to come and gather together the church, and these words are to be used for great comfort. Then in verse 5, he says, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now he switched the subject from the gathering together to the coming of the day of the Lord. And that day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. Now people think that the day of the Lord and the times, they, they're some who are somewhat familiar with the end times, are always announcing that it's at hand. All these evil things are coming upon us today. And they, you would think that 
it's not a thief in the night, but like as we put in, as we wrote in the book, as a as a marching band in a parade. That's what most people think that the day of the Lord is coming. Like it's there's so many signs of it. Even today, you can go online and find books that say seven things that tell you the end of the world is near, and twenty five things that tell you that we you know we're in living in the end times and so on. But it's coming as a thief in the night. And here's what it says is going to happen before it happens. Verse 3, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. These people who are caught by the day of the Lord, they're going to, before it happens, they're going to think everything's fine. They're going to say it's peace and safety. Everything is wonderful. It's not going to be preceded by what they think, what people claim is all kinds of bad things. And then it says, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. And the reason it won't overtake us as a thief is because we're going to be gathered together before the day of the Lord occurs. We're not in darkness. We're not the children of darkness. Verse 5, you are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And on it goes. So this false, false teaching that we're living in worse and worse times is just that, false. Okay. There is no scripture, I'll say this, there is no scripture that I've been able to find that says to born-again believers to look for an increase of evil and act accordingly. Okay. Yet that is what so much of the Christian world at large spends their time doing, looking at the increase, what they seemingly think is an increase in evil and then planning accordingly. I explained to you last time that the scriptures in Timothy, uh, let's look at one of them, are misunderstood. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now, this is a scripture often used by people to say we're living in the last days and therefore the times are getting worse and worse and worse. Then it says in verse 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Here, these verses instructed Timothy to turn away from these kinds of people. So, since Timothy is not around today, these are not written about end times as you approach, you know, as time goes on. This was written like somewhere around 2,000 years ago. So what Tim, Timothy was being instructed was concerning a departure from the truth within the church. In chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, verse 15, it says, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And he goes on to talk about how there had been a great departure from the truth, and men, he had already warned the Ephesian elders in, in Acts chapter 20, that after his departure, 
men would arise, they would to, to draw away disciples after themselves, and and there would be a great departure from the truth. He'd already warned them about that. So this is what he's warning Timothy about. And as there is a departure from the truth, within the church, there are people who arise to do all those things that are listed in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, or 2 Timothy chapter 3. They have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. They teach all these things that look genuine, but they really don't believe them. There's just so much more myths and fables that are taught. That's what happens when there's a departure from the truth. And this cycle of people coming to a knowledge of the truth and departing from it has continued ever since Paul's time. Okay. And as the church continues, as it departs from the truth, you get dark times coming. There's so much false teaching that occurs within the church, and men become very evil. Okay, that's what Timothy was being warned about, and that's a subject for another teaching. But it's not talking about the end of the world. Okay, uh, the end of the world is not near any way you look at it. Okay, any way you look at it, the end of the world is not near. After the church is gathered together, there's going to be the great tribulation, the day of the Lord, other end time events. Okay. Then in Revelation chapter 20, let's go there. Let's just turn there. I wasn't planning to go there, but just let's look at it so we can convince ourselves. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 20. We In verses 1 to 3, it talks about uh, uh, how the devil is cast into the bottomless pit, and he's for a thousand years. And then verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Okay. So there's a thousand year reign of Christ on the earth that is still future. And between that time and this time, who knows how long it is? I don't know. There's nothing in the scriptures that tells you. So I know from the truth of the scriptures that the earth is going to be around for a thousand plus years. Okay. At least a thousand plus years. So we are nowhere near the end of the world. Okay. But now, go on any, on any just Google, just Google the end of the world. And you'll be amazed at what you find there. Okay. There's, I, I never want to recommend something necessarily other than God's word. But if you just type in a list of dates of predicted apocalyptic events, you'll find throughout the centuries people predicting the end of the world. Okay. And it just goes, started with the first century, on and on it goes. And it's especially, unfortunately, an area where Christians get deceived in because they have some familiarity with the truth of the scripture. They know about the day of the Lord. They know about the tribulation. They know about the Christ coming, which they confuse. And they know about some of the, the uh, you know, Armageddon and the apocalypse, all that stuff. They know some of those things, but they don't have a clear view of them. So they're always thinking that we're approaching the end days. Okay. And they're always predicting when, there's been numerous predictions of when Christ is going to come back. There's been numerous predictions by individual 
and you'll find them on that uh, on a Wikipedia page who have been wrong over and over again, like three or four times they've been wrong. They keep revising the dates, and yet they have thousands of followers. Okay, and these people who have predicted these things are not just you know crazy people. Some of them are totally crazy, but there's been very notable figures who predicted the end of the world. You know, Martin Luther actually predicted the end of the world by 1600. Okay. Very notable individual. Christopher Columbus predicted 1658. John Napier, who you may not know if, unless you know math, he's the guy who invented logarithms. So you can blame him for your torture in math class. But John Napier, he predicted the end of the world in 1688. When that didn't happen, he revised it to 1700. John Wesley, who you are probably all familiar with, the founder of Methodist Church, he, he predicted the end of the world in 1836. Actually, he said the start of the millennium is happening in 1836. And on and on it goes, okay? There's so, so many people that have predicted. And they're all wrong because the scriptures tell us clearly the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. There is just nothing that is going to tell when, we're, when that occurs. And so the evil that we see there's an ebb and flow to it. You see it in the scriptures too. There's an ebb and flow to evil. Some things get better. Some things get worse. Some, uh, uh, you know, some circumstances get better. We've always some. There's good economic times. There's bad economic times. There's good crops and crop failures. There's plagues. There's disease. There's good laws and bad laws. This is just a normal ebb and flow of an evil age. Okay. And so our decisions in life should not be based on, 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 on fear of the world. They should be based on what God says, okay? what God's word says. Now, periodically, like, you know the record in the book of Acts, Agabus the prophet, God told him that there was going to be a famine, right? That's a bad circumstance that was about to occur. So what did the people do? They, they had information from God. They acted to send relief to the saints that needed it. Okay? They acted not with fear about the famine that was going to come. They acted with believing concerning that. But Agabus was a genuine prophet. Okay? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So yes, there's going to be bad circumstances that happen in life. Uh, we don't disregard those. We're not, I'm not saying we stick our head in the sand and ignore the bad, but we do not let it be the basis of the decisions we make in life. Our decisions should be based on the believing of God's word. What does he say? 1 Corinthians 2, last time we looked at how the adversary deceives the whole world, right? It says that he deceives the whole world. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, it says, in verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or mature, yet not the wisdom of this world. It's the word, and the word, the word, word, world here is age here, both occurrences in verse 6. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the princes of this age that come to nothing, okay, come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this age knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So there's a wisdom of this age, and there are princes of this age. Their time is limited. They're only here till the end of this age. They're going to be gone. 
And in the ages to come, and the ages to come, the ages to come is a whole other story. Okay. But there's a wisdom associated with them that they propound. Okay. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and they have their prophets out there, day and night proclaiming the wisdom of this age. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, again, should be God of this age, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. Okay. So there's a God, there's a wisdom of this age, there's a God of this age, there's princes of this age. And their function, their main function is to blind people to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, or the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. And to make things look bad for Christians and take the people's, our focus off what are we are called to do and put it on the things of this world and get distracted by them, which I call noise. Okay, the noise is going in the world. This false communication. If you go to John chapter 7, I mean 17. Oh, sorry, John 7. John 7. Verse 7, Jesus Christ said, The world cannot hate you, but me it hates, because I testified of it that the works thereof are evil. Okay. Jesus Christ explained that the works of the world are evil. In this, and, and therefore, we don't need anybody else to tell us that the, word, the things in the world are evil. And digging up more and more evil of this age and putting it out there in the news and telling how, you know, this has been discovered, this conspiracy has been discovered, and this. Why do we need anything, anybody else to tell us that? Why even focus on that? You recall the adversary offered a knowledge of evil to Adam and Eve in the garden. Okay? They already knew good, but what he was offering was a knowledge of evil. There is no profit for us to be gained by knowing more evil. Let's go to John 17. And John 17 is a great, is the wonderful prayer of Jesus Christ where he prayed for so many things that we are enjoying the benefits of today, blessings of. Like he wanted to be, have his home with the Father in us. He wanted to share his glory with the church, that the people who would believe on him after. And so many things, he requested many things of the Father in this wonderful prayer in John 17. But here's one thing he didn't request. This is very interesting. John 17, well, let's read in verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them or guard them from the evil one. Okay, That's what Jesus Christ said. There is a time coming when we are going to be taken out of this world, too. But our time here, we have a function to do, and that's the next part of my sharing is, what are we supposed to do concerning this evil? You know, we're not to run and hide, uh, as many, some people want to do, 
one day we are going to be taken off, but that time is not now. In Romans chapter 12, Romans 12, you're all familiar with this, so nothing new here. Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, age is the word, be not conformed to this age, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And one of the ways we can help ourselves not to be conformed to this age is to limit the information that we take in from this age. The information that we pay attention to, which is again a churning up of the evil and spewing out information about all the injustices of the world and things that are going on. In Ephesians chapter 5, and we're to serve living sacrifices because God has rescued us from this present evil age. There's those people whose minds are blinded by the God of this age, and we can try. We our our goal should be to help those people. That's our mission, in one sense. Ephesians chapter. We looked at this last week, but look at again Ephesians five verse eleven. It says, "Have and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret." But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever does make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleeps, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Okay. See then that you walk circumspectly, wisely, not as fools, but as wise. And here is how you do that, redeeming the time because the days are so wonderful. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. We don't have time to waste on the evil of the world. We really don't. To, to learn about it, to, you know, to partake of it, to, to be enthralled by it or anything, any of those things. We don't have the time. So in, instead of doing that, it says in verse 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Our focus should be to find out what is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do? What's, what is the Lord Jesus Christ directing me to do? What is, what is that he needs me to do? Within that larger mission that we have of being living sacrifices and renewing our minds and you know, speaking God's word, what is, what is it exactly that he wants me to do? And I assure you that's not going to come from what we observe on, in, in the media. Um, and then it says, and it says, be not drunk, verse 18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And as you know, many times the, the expression filled with the Spirit is used of getting information from God. Okay. Information from God. So we want to have information. We want to know what God's will is. That's one of the things we can focus on doing in the midst of this evil age. Let's go to 1 Timothy 2, which we last looked at last week also. Politics and the political situations of the world, uh, and, and they're varied all over. You know, I mean, 
Doug shared some things about Ukraine, and I shared some things about going on in India. There's believers in Africa. There's people in China. And the situations, the political situations that abound in the world, I mean, I guess they abound. There's many, many different types of situations in the world. But there's only one word of God uh, that tells you what to do about the political situations of the world. And here in 1 Timothy 2, it says in verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, teacher of the Gentiles, the nations, in faith and verity. I will therefore, I will therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. The living of a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty seems to be only dependent on our our prayer to God. It's not dependent upon who's in power. Remember, as I shared last time, when this was written, nobody voted for who was in authority. Your leaders were chosen for you, and that is the state that that is in many nations. You know, in, in some of these dictatorships, nobody's voting for anybody. But can a believer in China or a believer in India or a believer in Africa still pray for their leadership? This same word of God works just like this over there as it does here. So this is the God's instruction to be able to live quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and honesty. It's not to overthrow the bad systems that go on. It's not to change the regimes or anything like that. It's to pray. And last time we looked briefly at Daniel, who, what was his main thing, main weapon he used as a prisoner in the Babylonian Empire? He prayed to God. He had a connection with the God Most High, and he prayed to him. And he lived through the reigns of four kings and prospered. The kingdoms came and went, but there was good old Daniel, a prisoner in Egypt, just God taking care of him. Did he have some trials? Oh, yeah. But did God rescue him? Oh, yeah. So I know that at first, prayer at first glance may seem like a naive response to the issues of the day. Oh, what a, that can't be that simple. Well, it is if you have God as your listening ear, right? That's what God asks us to do. And if we were to spend as much time in praying for the situations and the things surrounding us as we would say looking at news or other media and imbibing that, I, I think situations would drastically change. There weren't that many people praying in Babylon but it drastically changed the situations there. Drastically changed the situations in Assyria where Esther was in jail with Mordecai and those, I mean, as a prisoner. See, So there you have it. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 
Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to have to deal with persecution and, you know, um, we ignore all the circumstances. Yes, we have to take certain things in, into account. In Second Thessalonians 3, it says, Paul says in verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that you may be delivered from and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not believing. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Okay. Yeah, we're going to have some bad circumstances from time to time. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But what did Paul say after that? But the Lord delivered me from them all. All the persecutions he endured, we can continue to look to God for deliverance. In Acts chapter 8, we're almost done here. Just Acts chapter 8. Here's a bad circumstance that occurred in the first century church. Verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, Stephen's death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. So, not a great time to be living, uh, you know. Um, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad hid, no, went everywhere preaching the word. They responded to the evil circumstances of the time by believing God. Okay. Not by letting the circumstances... Yeah, they had to maybe relocate, do a few things because of the circumstances, but that wasn't the only deciding factor in what they did. It's interesting, you know, in during the COVID ep, uh, pandemic in India, a lot of people ended up going back to their home villages because they had they couldn't stay in the cities. And as a result of that, you know what happened? God's word moved like crazy in the villages. And some of those people decided to stay in the villages after that. They had only planned to stay there temporarily during the pandemic, but they had such a hunger, a response there, they, they decided to stay after the pandemic was over just to minister to all the people that had been won to God. Okay, So you can imagine that if the pandemic had, you know, you could look at the pandemic and say, what a terrible time. Yeah, and it was. But look at how God was able to work in the situation and bring his word to people who may not otherwise have had the chance to believe. So if you respond with believing God rather than respond by the circumstances that take place, you're in a much better place. Unbiblical responses will not bring godly results. Anytime we respond by anything contrary to what the word says, it's not going to bring a godly result to our lives. So we're going to finish off in Ephesians chapter 6.
verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power or the strength of his might or the strength of his ability. That's who we're to be strong in. Okay, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. This is the instruction. Let's go back and look at a few of these things here. We're, first of all, in verse 10, we're to be in strong in the Lord, not in our own ability. And then we're to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. That's where the, the, the problems are coming, the conflict. That's, the, the, that's where the, you know, the bad situations and circumstances issue from. For verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, okay. but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Spiritual wickedness in high places or heavenly places. These reveal the true source of our conflict. It's not government power. It's not the leader of some rogue nation. It's not the pandemic. It's not poor policy decisions. It's not your neighbor. It's not your boss. It's spiritual wickedness in high places. And you cannot fight spiritual wickedness with physical weapons. Okay. And God tells you what. Are what we are to do about that. It says, Wherefore, because of this situation, the wiles of the devil, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil days today, and having done all to stand. So we just stand on God's word. Remember, this was written like 2,000 years ago. It's still the same truth today. Times churn, there's an ebb and flow to good and evil, you know, things are happening around us, but the Word of God is solid, it changes not, God doesn't change, His Word doesn't change, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and ever, forever. So God would just like us to stand, we don't want to quit on His Word, and that's what the adversary is trying to do by churning up all this other stuff around us. Verse 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the current news. Now, about truth, okay, with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the readiness of the gospel of peace. See, there it is. God's desire in all this stuff going on is all those people who still need to know to be saved. His will, all men saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That desire of God hasn't changed throughout the centuries. He still wants that. That's why we're still here to do this. Above all, taking the shield of faith, of the faith, or the right way of believing, okay? And the only way you're going to believe rightly is from the right 
right dividing of God's word to understand the truth of the scriptures. That's how you get the shield of the believing. We believe what the scriptures say, not what we hear in the media. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench how many darts of the wicked? All the fiery darts of the wicked. See how they used to have in, in back in the days when they fought with arrows, they used to shoot arrows with flames on them. Okay. So that the flame would hit a, a roof or something and start burning the house and the fire would spread from there. And in, in the psalm, it talks about that the fiery air, air darts of the wicked are words that they speak. And so those words that are spoken out, they cause, they can, they can cause people to spread fear, to doubt, and distraction from what our true mission is. So what we do is we believe rightly. We believe what God's word says. In verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for us. There's tons of prayer right there again. Okay, Verse 18. So, to summarize, yes, it is an evil age. Yes, there are many injustices. Yes, there are many evil people at work. Yes, there are things can get difficult at times. We live in an evil age and Christ is already rescued us out of it. So we do not let the evil, however, dictate or order our lives. We're not to be conformed to this age. God's word is still truth. Our response to this evil age is to renew the mind to God's word, to serve, to pray, to understand the will of the Lord, and continue to stand on his word. We can continue to grow in the knowledge of that truth and speak it in love to carry out God's will which is for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. When you drop the false rhetoric of the world, you realize that our mission as believers has not changed. We're to still to shine as lights in this crooked and perverse generation. Right? That's Philippians tells us that. So that's the rescue that we have from this present evil age. Father, thank you for how your word just cuts through the noise and declares very clearly uh, what your will is for our lives. Thank you, Father, that we can focus on the truth of the scriptures, that we can help those people in need all over the world, Father, that we have so much to pray for as even today are, are some of the stories that were shared revealed. There's so many things people have needs. So help us, Father, to continue to minister with clear-headed, clear-headedness and a clarity that only comes from the truth of your word. And we pray, Father, for helping us, for your help and standing upon your word despite any obstacles that we may encounter. We thank you for that wonderful word in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.